Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lenz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. And Christian, we have a surprise for the listeners. Yeah, I can see him. I can look <laughs> at the surprise. That's right, you can. We are also joined by our good friend, Keenan Culler of the Hollywood Week Podcast. Keenan, how are you, my friend? Scott, I'm doing fantastic. Christian, we need to pick up the energy a little bit because... I was not feeling the vibes from you on that intro. You, you, are are you okay? I'm, 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 I'm just so in shock that we were able to get you to co-host with wow. us today that I'm, I'm, I'm rendered speechless, and that's why energy levels are low right now. Busy schedule over there. <laughs> for Keenan. Hey, no, thank you so much for the invite. It is uh, always fun when we can connect. You guys actually jumped on uh, my podcast, the Hollywood Week podcast. What was this, like a month ago? And we had a blast. I think we talked for literally three and a half hours uh, about movie hot takes and uh, all kinds of crazy opinions and, uh, and stuff like that. That was a lot of fun. So it's good to reconnect. And I can't wait for the topic at hand tonight. It's going to be a, I can't say it's going to be a fun one, but it's going to be something. It definitely will be something. I can't say I know we both enjoyed being this, on... This movie effed me up. Like, honestly. Honestly. All right, keep going. I was just going to say that we enjoyed being on the Hollywood Week podcast with Keenan and his brother, Kaysen, but... <laughs> The movie is, is so shocking that Christian needed to interject, which is honestly understandable. We're not here to talk about the past. We're here to talk about the present, as the three of us are ready to kick off our October blend of the month, focusing on the movies of Denis Villeneuve, looking ahead to Dune later this month. Uh, Keenan, we didn't uh, yet share, we didn't tell the listeners last week you were coming on, but you were invited for a very specific purpose. How are you feeling about Dune? I have my IMAX tickets booked. I am so excited. I've been staring at the clock for the last, I can't even tell you how many months. Every delay, every time this movie got delayed, guys, it was a punch in the scrotum. It hurt. And I can't believe we are mere, what, two Two weeks weeks weeks. Two weeks from the release of Dune. It is real. And I want to say, too, right off the jump, this movie, there's so much riding on this movie because we want that sequel. We know part two. It has got to be, has got to come out, has got to get made by Warner Brothers. This movie is doing big numbers internationally. I'm very excited about that. And if Warner Brothers didn't cut the legs out from under this thing by putting it on HBO Max, I think we could expect big numbers here. But the powers that be, they uh, we'll see, guys. We'll see. Have, I don't want to get too heated dude? off the top. Have you read Dune, Keenan? I have not read Dune, but Kaysen and I, my brother, who we do the Hollywood Week podcast together, we are talking about how one of us needs to read the book and the other one doesn't. So when we do our review, we're kind of coming at it from two different perspectives. It's a big book. You should start now. I was going to say. You're running out of time. I think Kaysen's more of the reader, you know what I mean? (laughs) I'm more of the watcher. (laughs) I mean, you guys should be fine. You have two young children and he's in med school, so you're both overflowing with time to read. You should be just fine. Let the spices flow. I I might be reading Dune to my children for the next two weeks. I'm like, every night a chapter, kids. Let's read about... uh, That sounds sounds miserable. (laughs) As as someone who has read Dune... I would not want to read it to my children. Kids, I know you want to keep going through these Dr. Seuss books, but it's time to learn about the planet Arrakis. <laughs> oh, man. It, I, I Honestly, though, in all seriousness, I cannot wait. I, I really think... I think one thing that I'm... I know the visuals are going to be out of control. I know the cast is going to deliver. One thing that I think I'm not really uh, thinking about enough is the score of this movie. I feel like musically this is going to hit me so hard and uh yeah i'm just excited again we're, we're weeks away so we're almost there L- let me also give something that I, I i've told everyone that i know this just so that they go in with the correct expectations and everyone who's out there listening please know uh dune will cover roughly half of the first book it is not going to be a complete story if you leave dune feeling like things were not resolved that's the point 
So don't go in thinking, if you've read the book, don't go in thinking you're going to get all 600 pages. Um, honestly, based on my reading, it'll probably cover the first 200 or so pages. So, so please, a lot of critics and stuff were upset because they didn't know they'd only get part one. Know that this is a part one. There you go, folks. A little impromptu Dune preview. So get ready, get jazzed, and if you're as pumped as Keenan, get those IMAX tickets booked because time is ticking. But we are here to kick off our Denis Villeneuve blend of the month. And we can tell you now, it will culminate in our episode on Dune, which will come later this month. But we wanted to kick things off looking at two of his other, I would, I mean, he's made quite a few notable movies and we've already talked about Blade Runner 2049 on this podcast, but we wanted to take a look at two of his other movies and see kind of what we were in store for as we're getting towards Dune. We're going to be looking at one movie today, of course, that being Ensemble, his big international breakthrough. And then next week we'll be looking at Arrival, looking at some more Denis science fiction with our eyes towards Dune. So Keenan. I know you've been very excited about Dune. You, you mentioned it quite a bit on your show. I know tracking with the delays and stuff was something happening in real time over there as you guys were recording this summer. So it's been fun listening to you guys talk about your excitement for Dune. But what is your connection to Denis Villeneuve as a filmmaker? Are you a fan of his work? Have you only seen a couple of his greatest hits so far? Where do you stand with him? Um, I say this in all seriousness again. I know I tend to be uh, over dramatic. I can't help it. That's just how I. That's just how I operate. But I say this with all seriousness. Denis is my favorite working director, hands down, no question. Um, it's almost insane to think how much this guy has delivered over the last decade. It's crazy. If you go through every one of his movies, they all hit so hard. So I think he's head and shoulders above anyone else working today. I kind of want to get into, I, I mean, I know this is not the, the topic of discussion tonight, but I think comparing Denis to Christopher Nolan is very interesting and is appropriate because I feel like they are both cut from the same cloth. Um, and I have my reasons for putting Denis over a guy like Nolan. Um, but I'm curious to know, I guess I'll, I kind of want to throw it back to you. Like, what do you guys think of Denis and and uh, do you think those Nolan comparisons are are accurate? I think they're accurate. They both work big. They both work with things that have twists in them. Arrival has a twist. Blade Runner 2049 has a twist. Enemy has a twist. Ensemble, huge twist. Um, I think one difference between the two of them, Nolan works with original stories. Denis does not. And I think that Denis knows his limitations almost as a screenwriter, which I, I would say that I, I prefer Denis to Christopher Nolan in that respect. Um, also, I think that Denis' pacing, slow as it is, is incredible. I, I don't know about you, Scott. I, I would agree with that. And I like that you bring up the fact that he works with a lot of adapted, or adaptations, I should say. Obviously, Arrival, based on a short story. Ensemble, based on a play. Uh, Dune, based on a novel. And a lot of his other works are based on things. And so, obviously, Nolan has done some work in adaptations. Obviously, Batman is not his original creation. But it is interesting to think about those two as kind of the projects that they pursue. And in terms of his pacing, I would agree with you. Like, Denis Villeneuve makes movies for those who are willing to sit with a movie for two hours or longer. He does not make necessarily make movies for those who have a desire to get in and get out of a quick 90-minute watch. But I, I, so far with my engagement with his movies, I'm with you in that although they are often slower paced, a little bit more deliberate, a little bit more fleshed out stories, they really work for me. And I, I am a fan of his. He, I wouldn't say he's my personal favorite filmmaker working today, but he's someone who when I hear he's got a new movie come on up, I get excited. And so I'm looking forward to doing It's kind of why we're doing this blend of the month. So I think... One, one more thing I want to say real quick with Nolan versus Denis. I love both of them. It's not to take anything away from Nolan. And I'm not saying this is true across the board for Christopher Nolan. But I feel like with Denis, if you look at all of his movies, no matter what's happening in the background, like Sicario, we have like the, the drug wars going on. Arrival, we have this big sci-fi alien movie. Um, Blade Runner even, you know, with what's going on there. Uh, it seems like his movies, I am always left thinking about the characters 
and thinking it hits me harder emotionally. Whereas Christopher Nolan, he tries. I mean, you look at what he did in Tenet, you look at Inception even, and Inception was not bad, but I feel like Nolan's movies, I don't want to use the word hollow, but it's almost like his movies are more impressive because of the spectacle the the, the dr- exactly the spectacle the dress the window dressing everything around it the gimmick if you will Denis, he has that stuff but it's like at the end of the day i'm still thinking about those characters from these movies you know what i mean Th- that's that's a very good point i mean i left arrival loving amy adams more than ever i left blade under 2049 loving ryan gosling here uh in on sunday we're going to talk about the main character the main character is all over this movie and it's in 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 fascinating ways enemy jake gyllenhaal is the same thing so i I would definitely agree with that so let us get into the movie here so just a little bit uh, of backstory on our guy today if you're not super familiar with his work i know we don't always do this when we're looking at a filmmaker but i think it is worth saying because asandi specifically is his international breakthrough uh, he began, he, he's Canadian, and so he began in Canadian cinema, made a few movies, one being August 32nd on Earth, followed up by Maelstrom and Polytechnique. Uh, he worked with a few short films kind of in between there, that's how he started, and then he made a few in between his features, and started to pick up some acclaim on the festival circuit and in Canada before Ensemble was the one that put him on the map. It ultimately achieved a nomination at the Oscars for Best Foreign Language Film, won some awards at festivals around the world, and I, I noted a, a film critic I follow on Letterboxd who pointed out how even though he didn't like Ansandi, he can see how it put Villeneuve on the map in terms of Hollywood projects, and everything he has made since Ansandi has been a bigger project with Hollywood actors working in the Hollywood system. So, looking at now Asandi specifically, it is adapted from the play by Waji Muawad, and I hope I pronounced that correctly, um, which is inspired by uh, some true stories from the Lebanese Civil War, although the movie does not take place in a named country. It was written by Denis and uh, Valérie Beaugrand Champagne, as <laughs> get all these French names messed up, and oh. it stars uh, Lubna Azabal, Melissa Demoropoulin, and Maxime Gaudet. As a mother, Nawal, and her two twin children, excuse me, Jean and Simone, uh, we find out early on that Nawal, the mother, has passed away, and part of her final wishes for her children are to reconnect with their father, who they believed was dead, as well as their long-lost half-brother, who they did not know existed. So this is a very heavy film. Family is a very key theme here, of course. But it's not just family, it is family in the midst of war. It is family in the midst of trauma. It is family in the midst of immigration, looking and people experiencing lives different from the, uh, the lives of their parents growing up. And so definitely a very heavy film, but one that I think is quite good. And I'm looking forward to talking about with the two of you. It's told in um, mixtures, it's told primarily through flashback. We right. should say that. It's uh, yeah. primarily through flashback. Uh, we do get to see Noel's story told in flashback and then her children's stories told in real time. As we like to do on the show before we get fully into our review, just want to open up the floor for some fun facts. I call first fun fact. Christian calls first fun fact. I'm sorry, Keenan, you get to go second as the guest here. So, Christian, okay. why don't you kick us off? So, uh, I think this Ansan D won Best Film at the Adelaide Film Festival. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. Yes, it did. And because Denis Villeneuve was so happy, he promised the Adelaide Film Festival that he would name one of his characters in his next movie, Adelaide. And as of today, none of his characters in his movies after Ansan D have been named Adelaide. So, one thing we can tell is that Denis Villeneuve is a liar. <laughs> mm. Fun fact, mm. he's a liar. <laughs> Keenan, hopefully you have a fun fact that isn't so slanderous <laughs> that you can share with our listeners. Hey, should I, should I tell the listeners what my fun fact was last night when you hit me up about needing a fun fact? <laughs> no, I, I won't repeat that, but... <laughs> Uh, it was just my reaction to the movie, but no, honestly, I, I had trouble finding too many tidbits and uh, and kind of fun facts for this movie. One thing that I thought was interesting, though, I did see this interview with Denis around the time of this movie's release, where he said that 
he really did not know very many Arabic people at all. And he was very unfamiliar with like customs and anything going on in the Middle East. So he said this movie was a really big learning experience for him. And it kind of forced him to dive headfirst into that world. And I think you look at the, what I, obviously I'm no expert either, but it's like the authenticity seemed, seemed, uh, off the charts in this movie. So I feel like going from zero to a hundred, he, he crushed it with uh, the believability of that entire culture. There you go. And then one fun fact for me before we will dive into our review, there is a uh, family member cameo in this movie. If you want to rewatch it, or if you have not yet seen the movie and want to keep your eye out for it near the beginning of the movie, uh, Simon goes to the hospital and finds his mother lying in a hospital bed and there's a young boy seen at the beginning of that shot, and it's actually Denis' youngest son, Sasha. So he was able to fit his kid into the movie. Good for you, Denis. <laughs> like you said, Keenan, not too many uh, fun fact-style tidbits to share, but I think we found some good ones. Way to go, y'all. I mean, it's not a fun movie. No, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, Scott, when you just said if you want to rewatch this, I was like, oh, man. Why, <laughs> Making Why you go would through anybody it. want to do that? <laughs> Well, you know, I think people would want to do that because I will reveal my cards here. I've already, you know, mentioned this on this episode, but my first time watching this movie and I found it to be tremendously affecting. I think it is a really, really good movie and I'm looking forward to diving in and hearing more of your thoughts uh, on this movie. And so I will start with our opening question that is actually not related to the quality of the movie. Before that, let me give a caveat. Okay, caveat. There's a, there's like a major twist in this movie. Like, there's a huge twist in this movie, so we will spoil it. We're going to give general non-spoiler things here during this opening question and at the beginning. Then we're going to drop the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if you want to watch this movie, which honestly, I we we would all probably recommend you watch this movie. Uh, having I don't know any of the other thoughts. I know Keenan's because he said that he loved the movie. <laughs> I We would all recommend this movie. So just know we'll tell you when to stop and then you can come back in like the last two minutes of the of, of the podcast there you go thank you for the caveat christian so now our opening question unrelated to the quality of the movie i actually just want to briefly turn our focus on denny this is a month for his directing obviously and so as we kick things off i just wanted to ask i mentioned a film critic i follow who didn't like this movie was still able to see why Denis Villeneuve became a sought-after director in terms of Hollywood projects. And so, Keenan, you're our guest. I'll turn it over to you first. But your opening question, what are those qualities? What was it about this movie that gave Denis Hollywood producers in his voicemail inbox? What was it about Ensemble, despite its heavy subject matter and some of the challenging themes, what was it about this movie that made him the next hot thing in Hollywood? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, number one, I would just say the way the story is told. Uh, I thought it was it was it was lengthy. It's a longer movie. I think this clocks in at like uh, two hours and fifteen minutes, maybe. So I mean, not not crazy long, but I felt like it was constantly engaging to me, even during the slower moments. It was never boring. I think the way the story was told through flashbacks, through the present day stuff, it was very compelling. It was a great way to tell the story. I first saw this a year and a half ago, having zero idea, anything about it. I went in so blind, totally in the dark. And I think that's a great way to go into this movie, honestly. Um, and I just love the way it unfolded. I was not expecting the flashbacks. I was not expecting so much of the movie to be told through the mother's eyes. I thought that was great. Um, so I think the way he told the story, number one. Uh, number two, and this this maybe isn't really answering your question, but something I think is really interesting about this movie, and we'll kind of get into this as we discuss the movie too, I think, uh, in further detail, but this kind of exists in an interesting place. Have you guys seen Polytechnique, his, not really his first movie, but... It came before, it was the movie he made previous to Ansandi, and yeah. I have not yet seen it. I have not seen it either. Okay, that is, yeah, this is, this is, uh, Polytechnique is about a mass shooting on a, uh, all girl, not an all girl, but a, a uh, college campus, and this guy's targeting females. The, the reason I bring that up is because that movie is told in a very cold, clinical way, almost like something like a, uh, Paul Greengrass, like United 93. Like these are just how things happen. Bump, 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 bump. 
And then you see where Denis eventually goes with characters, with emotions, when you look at something like Arrival um, and his other Sicario. And this movie exists in an interesting place in between those two, where I feel like one of the things that's so interesting about this movie is that there is a lot of emotion. There is a lot of like traumatic things happening, but it's almost in a very matter of fact way where we don't really get too much under the surface. I don't know if that makes sense, but it all feels very much like things are just happening. Like this scene, oh my Lord, like what was that? Trauma, you know, next scene. And I don't say that as a negative. I just say that as like, it seemed like he was still a little bit in that territory of like, instead of fully diving into these characters and really like exploring all this stuff, it was almost like he didn't know if he wanted to go into the deep character stuff or if he wanted to tell it more in like a matter of fact blunt way does that make sense at all yes uh it's he he has never been a filmmaker who shoves emotions down your throat now the um i'm gonna go off of i'm gonna give an example of someone completely different from this (laughs) perfect (laughs) keenan your number one movie from last year you, you remember what your number one movie from yeah, last year is. Promising a Woman, of course. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Carrie Mulligan, let's go. Exactly. Like, heads and tails difference. You have one that is definitely very polarizing because it is telling you what is wrong in a very unique way. I love that movie. I absolutely love that movie. Here, he gives you traumatic events and lets you think what characters must be contemplating without telling you what he thinks that answer is. That's so, very well said. Yeah, like, you're, you're exactly right. It's much more like you are putting the pieces together yourself. You are you are thinking, what is this character thinking? I, I agree with you. So we have this interesting structure, one that balances flashback and present day, one that invests in some of its characters, but also allows some things to play out on the surface. Christian, anything you want to add in terms of the appeal of Denis Villeneuve that got him attention in Hollywood that you can see in this movie. I, I don't... What I'm going to say um, is that there's always a payoff in waiting. I I have sometimes... There are a couple of exceptions, but I have sometimes found his movies infuriating for like the first 75% of it because you keep waiting and you're expecting something to happen. And he makes you continue to wait until he drops the hammer. Now, in Arrival, it's like the the scene where you understand what the um, flashbacks are. Uh, In Blade Runner 2049, where you understand who... What's his name? K? Ryan Gosling's K actually is. Is he a replicant or is he not? Here, it's um, who the half-brother and who the father is. Before that, you don't understand why you keep waiting. But when you hit it, it is incredibly satisfying. So I, I, I would say that people leave this happy. The endings to Denise movies are always better than the beginnings. You can't say that about every filmmaker. Actually, you can't say that about most filmmakers. And to have an ending that you can tell other people about is cool. Absolutely. And in terms of Hollywood appeal, obviously, you want people leaving the theater talking about what just happened. And if you can end on a crash of the <laughs> crash of the cymbals and not just a, a simple bass drum kick, if you can end on something big and loud and bombastic, you'll get more attention. And I'm glad that you guys brought that up because they were different aspects of this movie and of Denis than from my answer. And I would say what caught people's attention in Hollywood, I would say the filmmaking that's on display. I think Denis always has a great eye for cinematographers that he wants to work with, and his movies are always gorgeous to look at. And there are some scenes, especially in this movie, capturing the beauty of these Middle Eastern, this unnamed Middle Eastern country, and and still finding you know the talent to shoot these interiors as well, these quiet conversations of... Uh, a notary talking to two grieving siblings can still make that look beautiful. And the pacing, Christian, you brought it up as well. And part of that is, of course, in editing as much as it is in writing and being able to edit the film along, give it a good rhythm, know when to sit and hold on something and know when to jump to the next scene. 
these things in many ways are, are earned, and of course this is not his first movie, but these also sometimes are innate talents and, and skills. That's why not everybody can be a famous Hollywood director, and not everybody gets to stay a famous Hollywood director. And so I think everything that we have covered here is, is definitely the strongest elements or the worth discussing in terms of the characters uh, from Asandi and, and why Denis became such a big deal after this. Because obviously this wasn't a huge hit at the global box office. It was made on a budget of six and a half million and it brought in 16. But it did pick up a ton of awards and, and that's why it matters. It wasn't that it was some smash hit. So now again, let us get more fully into the movie outside of Denis. I'd love to know your guys' thoughts on, on some of these characters and on the story. So like we said, uh, Nawal Marwan uh, passes away, and her uh, young or young adults, I should say, young adult twins get letters that they are supposed to deliver to the father they didn't know was still alive, and their half brother they didn't know existed, and they have to go visit uh, overseas in her home country in the Middle East. Uh, and at, at the same time, we're being told her story, and we get to see her beginning in this village that she was born in and how, how she eventually makes it to Canada where they all where they grew up. So which of those sequences worked better for you guys? The was flashbacks. It, okay, Christian's gonna cut in. It's flashbacks. Keenan, would you say the flashbacks or the present day work better for you? I think a hundred percent the flashbacks. I feel like yeah, that that is the meat and potatoes of the movie and that's where we get the most uh the most I would say like character development just in terms of uh the mom herself the kids I mean the kids were great and I didn't think again there's there's nothing wrong with them I thought the performances were fantastic especially from uh Jean but I just thought that like that's one place where I was wondering if it was a little hollow just because we didn't really know their relationship with their mother. We get a few lines of dialogue where the brother kind of acts like he was maybe mildly irritated with the mom throughout <laughs> throughout their relationship, um, where it seems like the daughter definitely has a closer relationship to her. But I, I just feel like that's something where without knowing how they were together, um, it was harder to, to really connect too hard to them oh i I was just gonna say uh you also this this movie is also slightly miserable to watch like like this mom is going through hell her her first the 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 father of her her first kid killed in front of her gets into brutal gets shunned by family yeah gets sent to an area that gets invaded Goes on a refu a Muslim refugee bus, which gets assaulted. You you're just watching this woman go through so many terrible, terrible things, and you don't know why. And it looks so good, <laughs> like it, it looks so good. And and this woman is an incredible actress. Yeah, we I should say I mentioned her earlier, but Nawal young Nawal is played by Lubna Azabal. Who, who's doing a phenomenal job because in, in telling us in flashbacks, we're in different parts of the story. So she is acting shocked. She is acting like angered. She is indifferent. She is a survivalist. She is a caring mother. She um, She's giving off all of these emotions that she's being forced to reckon with in a very short time frame as we just cut from one part of her life to the next. It's very impressive screenwriting. Uh, Impressive screenwriting and impressive acting. And and I would say something that I look for in a story like this is does the actor convincingly portray this person's development? Because we see her go from a somewhat innocent, I wouldn't say young girl because she's in a serious relationship, she's pregnant, but this innocent young woman how is she changed by these things that happen to her? Because she does endure traumatic event after traumatic event. And we see her go from a victim to uh, someone who is on the offensive at that at, at point in her life. And I, I think that that change, that character change, despite having half a movie <laughs> that has to take place in, is so convincingly portrayed. And sometimes you just see someone become, and, and it's not that she becomes this, but become a badass in an action movie or something like that. And you don't fully believe it because it's this soft-spoken person who they have to become the hero because the movie says they do. But in this, we see Nawal's transformation and we see her go from this innocent 
young woman living in a village with her family to this hardened person escaping from her country and escaping to finally to freedom. And, and even then, based on what we learn happens to her, not even full freedom, uh, aside from physically, yes, but mentally, spiritually, perhaps no. Uh, Keenan, what did you think of uh, the performance in Nawal's uh, journey? Incredible. Like, by far the highlight of the movie. Um, I think that I wanted to say two things. Number one, the very first time we see her in that scene with her boyfriend, the father of her, you know, um, unborn child, the fact that within the first minute of meeting this guy, we immediately get the stark reality, the stark reminder of where they are, how this world, like what this world is like, where she lives, the gunshot to the head without even thinking twice very like i don't want to say scorsese style but you know what i mean like very like out of nowhere just like did that just happen and it i love that choice to write from the jump just be like hey we're not in canada anymore you know what i mean like we're not in kansas anymore and it's such a like splash of cold water to the face of like i can't believe that just happened so i thought that decision immediately set the tone that we are in a place where anything can and will happen and it put me on edge for her entire story because you don't know what to expect that was a great way to start off um the second thing i almost feel like going back to the kids i would have preferred if they took some of their screen time and shortened some of those scenes and gave it to the flashbacks and we saw more of the struggle of her trying to find uh her son her firstborn son right and we maybe saw from his vantage point him trying to find her trying to find his mom because they make allusions to that at the end of the movie and that hit me hard just hearing that like just hearing a character say that like he looked for he looked for his mom for so long and here hearing her say i looked for you my son for so long and it's like even just hearing a character say that it hit me so hard i can't imagine if we got a little bit more screen time showing and i know we got a scene of her showing her go to the orphanage and, and seeing it was it was blown up but you know what I mean? I just feel like that's where the emotion was for me. And I would have liked, that's kind of what I'm talking about when I refer to like, maybe he could have leaned into that a little harder. So it, it hit even harder when it, when it did. But on the flip side, maybe also scenes of why her children disliked her so much. Like when the, when her will is being read out, like Simon cannot contain himself. He does not want to be there. He does not like his mother. And we never really get a chance what? We're just left to assume that it's because she's a traumatized individual. And, and so it's it's like those things where uh, so many things were hinted at and what we were presented was so amazing that that I wish it had showed more on one side or the other. Again, we're also already dealing with like a two hour and fifteen minute movie, so I don't know where this would have gone in, but but I did notice that. Right, and you know there are things sometimes where, like my take on that is that in, in some ways I I was fine with what we had and with the balance, and if I would have changed anything, I maybe would have said show us a little more of the flashback or. Um, you know, some of these other events that are alluded to maybe give us a peek at that as opposed to more in the present day. Although I do, I do like the performances of um, the actors playing Jean and Simone, as well as their, their notary slash guide slash best friend of the mom, uh, who we should say is uh, Monsieur LaBelle, uh, played by Rémi Girard. So, okay, I did not like the notary. What? I, I'm just going to say, <laughs> this dude is there to move the story along. That's it. The two kids are like, we want to give up. We don't want to keep searching for our dad and our brother. He's like, no, guys, keep going. I've already done some of the digging and searching for you. This man had no hey. reason to be there except as, like, plot development. He had hey, a significance. How, fu how funny, though, was the scene where he's, like, talking, like, notary nerd talk to that Arabic notary guy. And he's like, yeah, if there was a notary back in the time of Noah, like, and he's like, yeah, good good notary yeah. joke, bro. I, I, I picked up on that scene specifically because this is such a, 
not a dour movie, but a very sad, very somber movie. And that was a joke. I was like, what is this joke doing here? <laughs> Wrong movie. Yeah. But it was one of the, it was a moment of lightness that was definitely uh, much needed. And I would say, Christian, I actually disagree with you. I think, Senor, or I almost called him Senor LaBelle. <laughs> Monsieur LaBelle. <laughs> pardon my cultural insensitivity there. Monsieur LaBelle, I think, has a very important thematic purpose, and he touches on it repeatedly. It's very on the nose, and I'll acknowledge that. But a, a huge important theme of the movie is just promises, keeping promises. And we find out that the reason Nawal wants her children to go looking for their father and their half-brother is because she made a promise to the, to the baby when it was born, saying, I'll come find you. And she always hated that she never could. And so she is making them keep that promise. And obviously the job of a notary is to be there and give legal authorization to transactions or wills and banking, etc. And he sees his job as a professional promise keeper. He helps these processes happen, whether it be a, a will being executed or something else that he is handling. And so his role is important, I think, because he keeps the two focused on the promise that their mother asked them to keep. And so it's not just that they're on this adventure, but there's actually something metaphysical at stake almost based on their mother and her connection to her home country and the people she left behind. But I, I that's where my that's where my concern comes in. Like you said, it's a little too on the nose and we never get to see what his connection to the mother is except for him saying she was a good secretary. And we're told, yeah, she was his secretary and a family friend, and she worked for him for 18 years, which we're allegedly... He, he, also, he also specifically, I mean, you just alluded to this, Scott, but he does specifically mention that you guys were like my family. Like, he says, like, she was like, and alluding to the kids as well, like, you were, I looked at you as family. So... I think that the story was so vast that it would be, um, I, I, let, let's throw out a question a different podcast says, Keaton... Um, do you think that this movie could be remade, remade as a 12-episode Netflix series? <laughs> Shout out to The Ringer. hundred percent. Absolutely, Copyright. yeah. Get Mike Flanagan on that. Let's do it. Mike Flanagan. We don't need the horror <laughs> the ha- version of it. <laughs> the Haunting of Daresh. The Haunting uh, of Daresh. Dinesh or whatever that place is called. But that's what it feels like, or to an extent, right? It feels like we're watching the miniseries of someone's life, and that each episode is just another one of these traumatic flashbacks. Uh, you know, I mean, hey. I, I see what you're saying. I think this would not be good as a miniseries necessarily, and it's great. As oh a movie, no, I, I'm I'm glad it's a movie, <laughs> but it, it it's very procedural in how it works. Sure. One thing that I want to say, I don't know if we're officially in the spoiler pool yet. Not, not yet. Gonna, so tread lightly. I'm not going to spoil anything, but I want to know what you guys and we'll we'll elaborate more on this in a second when we dive into spoilers, but. I, one thing, and it's funny because I love this movie. I even told you yesterday, get ready for me to heap tons of praise on this. And I'm only, I'm normally too positive. So I feel like I'm intentionally right now trying to like pick some things that are more interesting to discuss than me just heaping praise on this thing. But um, one thing that I definitely did not like, and I've thought about this, and I know this is totally like a 50-50 thing here, but I did not like what triggered their mother's ultimate death right oh, okay like we we kind of see what happened to her how she died and then we find out towards the end there was a specific event that caused this and to me that was just a little too cute like a little too coincidental like like i i was able to buy the stars aligning in a horrific way for other things that happened where it's like hey don't question it too much like this is just bad destiny or whatever you want to look at it but that was just one thing where it's a little too much where it's like i would have rather it was just a totally random thing than him trying to like make that connection so let's let's dive into the spoiler pool so here you go folks if you for whatever reason have not yet seen the movie and want to check it out after hearing our initial discussion i will tell you you should stop listening right now you should shut you yeah. should Apple Q. Take take out your your AirPods, put them back in the case. Head on over to Amazon Prime and make pay that two ninety nine for the rental. Uh, we are going to go full spoilers on this movie because Keenan, I, I kind of like where you're going with what you're talking about. I did want to talk about the ending and where we end up. So this is your final warning. We're going full spoilers as of this moment. So of course we come to find out that the 
father of Jean and Simone is a torturer who uh, tortured Nawal while she was in prison, this political prison. And he part of the torture is that he raped her. And ultimately, she became pregnant from these rapes and was forced to give birth in prison. And it's the twins that she gives birth to. Uh, we then also know that her son was given a three-dot tattoo when he was born by Nawal's grandmother so that she could find him someday. And the son, uh, through a series of events, is kidnapped from this orphanage that is attacked, and he is enlisted as a child soldier in these uh, military forces warring in this uh, civil war. And ultimately, we find out that as part of his journey, he is captured by the other side, he is converted to their side, and he is sent to the prison as a torture, and it is him who raped Nawal. And so he is both the father and the half-brother. And Keenan, I'll let you describe the scene in which she, Nawal, learns this information. So we see in the beginning of the movie what led to her death is at the public pool. Um, she basically goes into kind of a catatonic state where she's not responsive, she's not answering anyone, and then she eventually just goes to the hospital and dies. We don't really get too much more info, although I will say it's interesting. We do see her in the hospital after she goes into this catatonic state talking to the notary, correct? Where she's like whispering, whispering to yeah. him kind of her final wishes. I, w I would quickly jump in and say I think Wikipedia says that she has a stroke. That's what we're led. That's okay. that's not really made explicitly clear though. So, yeah, and that, that's fine. I, I don't. I guess I don't really need too much more info. Again, just like a lot of this movie, it was a little vague, and it's like hard to tell how I feel about that. Like, would I want a little more explanation on that, or is it okay? But yeah, we find out toward, and, and we don't know why this happened. We just see the daughter swimming in the pool, looking at her mom sitting on the chair in this catatonic state, going up to her saying, are you okay? Like, what happened? What happened? We find out in the end of the movie what triggered this as the mom is swimming in the pool. She looks up on the uh, concrete and sees a foot with those same three tattoo marks on the back of his uh, heel, realizing this is her son. This is, uh, you know, her her rapist as well from the from the prison she was in and she gets out of the pool she approaches him she's standing behind him not sure what to do and he turns around and i believe speaks to her looks at her says maybe like can i help you something and it just we're, we're then led to believe that is the incident that set her off into this catatonic state which led to her death to me I don't mind the fact she saw him like that. I think that's brutal and very powerful, but I don't really like the fact that that was so powerful. It killed her. Like, I, I know it didn't directly kill her. It's not like as bad as her falling over of a heart attack. Like, oh my gosh, but it's still like, I don't know. I just, it's just a creative choice. I wasn't vibing with. I will say, um, I don't know how I feel about it because what, if the twist had not worked and we discover that the half-brother is also the father, I don't think I would have liked this movie. And so the entirety of the movie, her life also depends on how good this twist is. And, and I, I'm it's stepping back, knowing that I love this twist because it's so powerful, I also understand is the rest of the movie able to live up to how powerful this is? And, and to an extent, I think that's what you're saying um, in that the plot also, like the plot moving forward counted on her seeing the magnitude of that realization the way it counted on us reacting to the magnitude of that realization. And it, it, it makes me feel weird. It, it, it makes me feel weird um, in that, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know right now. It is a tremendously upsetting moment in the movie, as obviously rape is an extremely difficult thing to depict on screen without feeling gratuitous, and I think uh, they, they cover it as well as you can in this movie by not actually showing it, by just saying that it happens, we see the after effects, but obviously still thematically it is upsetting, and knowing that there is now the element of essentially forced incest... Um, I think there there is maybe a hint that he is intentionally sent to this prison and intentionally sent to torture her by this group who had captured him. I, I don't know if, if y'all would agree with that, but regardless of if there's any intention, still this this twist is 
horrific uh, in its implications. And so in terms of the the effect on Nawal, especially as an older woman, not very old, but aging, and who had endured as much as she had in her life, uh, a tremendously sad life, I, I, I bought into the, sh- the traumatic shock of that reveal and, and what it did to her. I... I do know that I may, maybe not in a minority, as I know this is a well-liked movie, but I know that's one of the major criticisms that Alessandi has received, is it's melodramatic and the ending doesn't help. And the ending ties things up, to use your words, Keenan, too cute. And even though that is not a very cute reveal, I know what you mean, and that it all ties together very neatly. I would say that as much as something like that can work for somebody, as a work for a viewer, it worked for me and how it sealed things together uh, as it just, it lands with a thump. And I think the the final scenes of the movie, uh, as we do see Simone and Jean get to deliver the letters to him, the two letters for the one person, um, I, I think mileage can vary on that. What, what did you guys make of those scenes? I abs- I loved, loved, loved the letters because I'm a sucker for anything. I, I always tell Case in this too. Like anything that hits me emotionally, it clouds my judgment on everything else. So like those letters really got me big time. I know it's maybe a little melodramatic, but I was definitely, definitely feeling it. Um, one thing I wanted to say real quick. Uh, I... As far as the twist goes, something I don't want to forget to mention, I thought it was really, really clever how he tried to trick the viewer, trick the audience into thinking the twist was for the twins. The twist was going to be, the, it's not really a twist to the audience because we knew, but like the twins thought that their brother was born of the from the prison, right? They didn't know they were the products of the, the prison. So I almost feel like, Rewatching it uh, last night, he was kind of setting it up for that to be the big emotional hammer drop of like the twins finding out, oh my gosh, we were the ones born of the rapist. We were the ones born in this prison. We had no idea. We now think totally different about our blah, blah, blah. But it's almost like, no, that's a fake twist. Or like, that's a fake, that, that, still is, that still is one mini, it's almost like a mini earthquake before the big one. It's like, no, 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 that's still gonna hit but we got something bigger, you know? So I thought that was really clever. And one more thing I want to clarify. I loved the way the brother and the father, one plus one equals one. I I, I love that just hitting hard. That's not my complaint. My complaint was strictly, do I like this being an explanation for her dying? Dying. Not the entire thing of the brother being the father. Being yeah, the brother. Right. that that was awesome. I loved it. That that made this movie like super memorable, whether for good reasons or bad. But the whole like leading to her just being in a coma type thing that was a little iffy to me. I I love the two letters because one letter is full of anger. The letter that she writes to the father. The letter that she writes to the brother has love in it um i there's an ending shot of him brother slash father standing over her grave and her tombstone and i felt weird about that and i think that that was the point because are we supposed to excuse what he's done consider him a human being which he is Like, he is a human being. He did grow up in incredibly difficult circumstances. He was on a long search for his mother that does not excuse his actions. And I'm not saying that we should excuse them. But it it, it was awkward for me. And I like that it was awkward. That it's this mother who is treating her son... And ultimately deciding, look, you are someone who deserves love despite all of the hatred I have for things that you've done. Uh, and I don't even think Denis Villeneuve is telling us to excuse him, but telling us to, like, forcing us to face that. And to face these this trauma and to come up with stuff for ourselves. I, I thought it was really interesting how, it, to me, I looked at it like the only possible way she could have any kind of, um, I don't know what the word, not forgiveness, that's the wrong word, but she almost had to compartmentalize. She had to look at these as two different people, and that's the only way she could deal with it mentally. 
right? And it was so heartbreaking, dude, hearing her talk to her son in this letter because you remember him as a baby being born, being taken out of his mother's arms by the grandma, like crying. And it's like, you feel terrible. And again, it doesn't excuse the stuff he did as an adult, but you see what happened to him when he was a kid. And it's like, it is impossible to not feel for that mother-son relationship. And how if only things could have been different, if only they had each other, like how the story would have changed. And it didn't happen that way. And it's 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 terrible. But I looked at the letters as a, as her not absolving him, but saying, you are two different people. From here on out, be my son. Maybe. Like that, I, that's kind of how I looked at it, hopefully. Which I think, yeah, I think is a fair interpretation. And uh, obviously we, we have, I mean, we're running low on time here, <laughs> but we have barely even touched on some of the themes here, especially in terms of, you know, conflict in the Middle East, civil war and unrest. And there is a, a massive religious element to the civil war. It's Muslims versus Christians in this conflict and have not even touched on that. And so there's so much thematically that we didn't even really get a chance to dive deeply into. And I think... The movie's not about that. And here's here's what I'm going to say. Here's what I'm going to say. The movie's not about that, and yet it forces you to reckon with it. Right. It, it's not it's not explicitly about it. It's about the journey of, of the Marwan family. But and, and that's incredible to me, that this um, Middle Eastern country isn't even named. We're led to assume, using context clues, and that the playwright of the original um, thing, of uh, the original play, is from Lebanon, and so this is probably Lebanon. But also... It, it, it's much more so of a um, forcing you to reckon with the Middle Eastern conflict in a way that you haven't before, forcing you to to, to care to an extent. And, and this is also one of the reasons why I wish we'd gotten more time with the twins, because we see the trauma that this inflicts on the mom. We see the trauma that this inflicts on the son. We even see the trauma that this is inflicting on the Muslim refugees, on the family. But we don't see the trauma this is inf- that has inflicted on the um, children of what it means for them to be children of a refugee of what it means to have grown up in a foreign country, having not known different things or why their mother was acting this way. It, it feels as though it touched on all aspects of trauma to build this beautiful character portrait, except for theirs. Yeah, it feels like there's maybe an entirely separate movie or follow-up play about these two reckoning with the knowledge they now have of their family history. And I, I think the reason I even bring up the religious aspects and the Civil War, you know, why I even bring up those themes is it's just because, obviously, you know, we often go to movies to see ourselves and, and see human stories, to see our struggles reflected in characters on screen. And when you're going to a heavy drama like this, you're not going necessarily to be entertained like you would be for a blockbuster, but you're going to see something human. And I think the devastation of that realization in Nawal's life is heartrending because we can't even fathom what that must be like, not just in the moment to make that recognition or make that realization, but also her, she had spent her entire life pining for this child that she never she thought she would never meet. And yet she realized she had. And so all of that is packed into that moment. And we see with her letters, with her at least partial forgiveness, I think is confoundingly and deeply human. And in terms of addressing the, the subject matter, obviously of rape and of incest, I think Ansandi does a, a good job covering those subjects and making everyone involved a human like you were saying, Christian, like Nahid is the son and Nahid, we see him as a human, despite the horrific things that he's done because of this connection we have to him as this lost son, not just as this torturer who has done atrocious things. And to that end, I think that's part of why the movie is so successful. It doesn't just look pretty. It's not just a good looking, good sounding, well acted movie, but ultimately it, it is thematically resonant and challenging as well. I, I'm, and w- one last thing, and then I do think we should wrap up. Well, yeah, let's end after this. Um, Ansandi um, means fires. And, and they're not necessarily the biggest fires, but it means that, like, fires are everywhere and you um, you need to put all of them out. So to to have that title also go along 
and um, to individuals who know what the meaning of the title is, it's also like, everything is a fire. It is all fire. And we have no clue how to put any one of them out in order for healing to actually begin. Well said. Keenan. I, I do want to ask you for your final thoughts here, because we didn't get to this, but the opening of this movie is, I think, arresting, and it grabs your attention right away, and we come to find out that it is Nahid, the son. We, we see him in the later scene, as he, of course, is a child soldier. Just quickly on those two scenes, you know, wh- what were your thoughts, and then feel free to offer any, any wrap-up for our listeners. I'm so glad you brought that up. Opening scene is fantastic. The, the song selection, I can't tell you what it is right now. <laughs> it's a Radiohead so, song. So good such a like bizarre contrast almost to what you're seeing with the music i loved it immediately gripping um i want to point out like i know now because we're just i just want to point out some scenes that uh we didn't get to talk about i want to definitely point out the scene on the bus where it gets assaulted by the uh christian militants i believe right um this i mean again just talk about what a talk about what a a great representation of who this character is she thinks to save the girl, right? She says, as she's getting saved because she's holding up her cross saying, I'm a Christian. She looks at the mother holding her daughter on this bus, knowing they are both dead the second she walks away. And she looks at the girl and says, I can't leave without my daughter, my daughter, my daughter. And it works for 20 seconds, right? And it's like, man, how many gut punches is this movie going to deliver? That entire sequence was so brutal from the second she woke up on the bus from her nap. It's just that sense of like, it is about to hit the fan. You know what I mean? And again, the fact we saw from the opening scene with her, her boyfriend get shot in the head. You know what this movie is about. You know what it's capable of. And this bus scene just tripled down on it. So I want to mention that scene. I also want to mention the scene and then I'll uh, wrap it up. I love the scene with the daughter, Jean, in the little village where she is surrounded by women, all of like the women from the village, right? And they're so friendly, so caring, so giving. Do you need anything? All this stuff. And then the second they find out who her mom is, wow, wow, wow. She's like public enemy number one. They're like, you are not welcome here. I just thought that was a cool scene. And it kind of, uh, it was kind of a wake up call for Jean. Like, wow, my mom was involved in some heavy stuff with with far-reaching implications um final thing i want to say about this movie i do think again a lot of this is us filling in the blanks i think my ultimate takeaway is that this is a movie about the twins right growing up in canada having no idea about this other world having no idea about anything their mom has been through and kind of getting a wake-up call into who their mom was where they came from and it just shows i don't want to use the word privilege is probably not the right word but it's just like insane from this generation to the next you can have such a contrast between how you are living in the fact that kids never knew this and like and we've seen this explored in other media like i think of master of none with aziz and sorry obviously a much more humorous look but showing like where his parents came from the struggles they dealt with compared to him not having wi-fi you know what i mean and it's like again a lot of that stuff in this movie we have to fill in the blanks because we don't get enough of the twins but i really took that away from this movie and that's kind of one of my my biggest takeaways is just like the kids living this life in the West, having no clue what their poor mother sacrificed, went through. The fact these twins were almost thrown into the river and killed, right? We see them being taken out at night. And the only reason they're alive is because this nurse says, no, 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 let me take the babies. Like, I, you don't need to kill them. And it's like, man, they have no idea. They're just living the life, you know, going to Chipotle, whatever. And it's like, they don't know. They don't know. And that's that's a powerful thing. Canadian Chipotle is very powerful. Canadian Chipotle, folks. Yeah, they put moose They put moose meat in there, dude. They get the moose meat burrito. Always end on a laugh, folks. That is Asandi Denis Villeneuve's international breakthrough. Uh, we, should, we didn't mention this, but uh, from the year 2010. 10. Uh, hey, how did this not win yeah. Best Foreign Film? What the heck beat this what won? at the Oscars? <laughs> uh, this is insane. I, know, I can't believe it. I, I'm not in charge. Uh, I, you know, I, I one day would sure love to be voting for that award, but you know, it's, uh, perhaps a competitive, <clears throat> a competitive field that year. You would need to become a you would you would need to become a filmmaker for that to happen, sir. Hey, Christian, you're a writer. This, 
This is like when Shakespeare and Love beat Saving Private Ryan. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Maybe not that drastic. But that is Ansandi. It is not streaming anywhere right now to the best of my knowledge, but it is rentable on Prime. That is where I watched it. You can also check your local library uh, if you want to support the library as well. Uh, quick quick question for the room here, and we got to grab things up, but this is currently Denis Villeneuve's highest rated film on Letterboxd, a solid 4.3 out of 5. How do you two feel about that? Oh, it's a 4 for me. Um, I would give this a 4.5. I love this movie. I feel like I was almost like too critical tonight. I'm probably going to listen to this and be like, man, I should have hyped this more. But I think this is such a gut punch. I could not imagine anyone watching this movie and not walking away feeling things. And, and you know, if you're the type of person who looks for that, you got to check this out. What would you give it? Uh, I would... At this point, I would probably land on the higher end, and I, w- I would be with Keenan actually, just in terms of how much it moved me and how effective the filmmaking was for me too. Um, just the epic scope, the story being told, and the care with which it handles some pretty heavy stuff. Uh, I think so is, is this the top well three? Is this the top three Denis movie? For the ones that I've seen, as I've seen, I think I've seen about half of his movies, uh, including the earlier uh, Canadian works. So I would, I would for me, yes, but. Probably at three for me. There you go. What yeah. about you? I, uh, I would honestly have to think about that. I would probably agree. Probably like around the three spot. There you go. Mm-hmm. We will maybe hash out our personal Denny rankings as we get through this blend, Christian. But Keenan, unfortunately, we're, we're talking about number one next week for ooh, me. <laughs> there's a little. There's a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, Keenan, we'll have to catch up with your rankings later. Would love if you would feature that maybe in, a, in an email to us. Feel free to do that. But thank you for hey, joining quick, us. I, I know you want to wrap this up. I got to ask something real Oh, quick. my gosh. <laughs> so, Venom, let there be carnage. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, it is weird we live in a world where Venom, let there be carnage is made and also Denis is making movies. Like, when you go see Dune, <laughs> just imagine, like, a director made this movie and then Andy Serkis made Venom Let There Be Carnage. And both of those guys make millions of dollars making movies. This is true. It's not fair. Um, hey, no, but really what I was going to ask you. Uh, now I can't remember. What the hell was I going to ask you? It doesn't matter. Oh, I, no, I know. Did you Have you revealed what is happening next week? Or is that a secret as far as what the Denis movie is? Yes. So we'll be. I mentioned at the, at the top of this episode, if you're still listening, folks, thank you. We'll be covering Arrival next week. On the All Denis I want to say with Arrival, and then I will shut up. All I want to say is Arrival is like the best moments of Lost, my favorite show of all time. The, 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 the emotional beats of Arrival are like the peak of Lost. So I want you to keep that in mind when you're watching it. Like the things Perfect. revealed in Arrival make you feel the same sense of mind blown versus emotions versus everything as lost did in his prime that's it enjoy arrival well i've never seen lost but i'll keep that in mind (laughs) keenan you mentioned that you host a podcast with your brother casein called the hollywood week podcast what do you guys got going on over there if our listeners want to check it out oh scott it's it's popping big time it's popping so i never use that word but i'm using it tonight (laughs) um we are about to drop our review of dune just like you guys when this movie comes out but for the first time i'm announcing it tonight we are dropping a halloween spectacular episode full of all kinds of crazy stuff we got we got uh, we don't have guests it's gonna be okay we got candy corn and a lot of movie trivia it's gonna be a fun time that's dropping i don't know probably the tuesday after halloween kills comes out so we're gonna talk about a lot of fun stuff but again we have the the podcast it's called the hollywood week podcast you can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts and uh you might like it each episode is three and a half hours i like to talk and that's how it is but uh you guys, it's been a blast tonight. It's been a depressing blast, but a blast nonetheless. Yeah, we're glad to have you back. And folks, uh, I would definitely recommend you check out their podcast. They're on a break right now, so this is exciting to find out you have a Halloween spooktacular coming out. Uh, we will look forward to that. Check out our appearance on the show when we covered some hot takes uh, we all argued about for quite a while. And don't worry, their episodes aren't actually three and a half hours long. It's typically just two, two Some half. are. <laughs> some are. Hey, Christian, what was your hot take? That Infinity War is probably the worst Marvel movie. Which is it's weird, more than anything. And we went into great detail about why Christian is wrong about that. 
But folks, Kason says Star Wars isn't good. <laughs> yeah, Kason needs to be. He's a he is trained to be a medical doctor, but I think he might need some added added checks and examinations and clearances before with that take. So, folks, if you have reached this point in the episode, we do thank you so much for listening, Keenan. It was great to have you on, and uh, once again, and to join in with our discussion of Asandi. Denis Villeneuve Blend of the Month is off to the races, and it has been an excellent time. We just lost Keenan. Wow, Keenan left the Zoom meeting. This is too good. Keenan, if you, I hope you listen to this episode. Keenan, if you uh, join our Facebook group chat and you send in the word, what, what word should he send for like a code? Um, Scorching. Keenan, if you send the word scorching to our Facebook group chat, I will Venmo you $5. I will do it. So he's gone, folks, but you're not. And thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We will look ahead to Arrival next week. Uh, that, again, I don't believe is streaming anywhere. But I own it. <laughs> Christian owns it, so maybe if you're like Christian, you'll be ready to go. And it is also rentable everywhere you can rent movies. Uh, I, according to this, actually, it's streaming on Hulu, so maybe check it out there. Um, there are a few things that you can do to support us wait, here wait, wait, wait. at Cinema Drip. Next week. We're, it's not, it won't just be the That's two right. of us. That's right. I forgot to mention. We did forget to mention Keenan this week, so we won't do it this time. We have a new guest coming to the Cinema Drip podcast. Uh, we're still locking down schedules, so we don't want to announce anything just yet. Hopefully, he'll be, just be on the episode next week. But it is an L.A. musician, which we're looking forward to. All right, folks. It's Ariana Grande. She's coming on the show. Ariana, we're looking forward to singing along with you as we talk about Arrival. I'm just kidding. Uh, Christian's friend who's going to join us on the show. Don't be offended. Uh, we're looking forward to having you, but we'll have another guest next week to talk Arrival. Uh, until next time, this has obviously been the Cinema Drip Podcast. There are a few things that you can do to support the show that we would greatly appreciate. Number one, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Helps us reach new listeners there. You can also subscribe, please, wherever you listen to podcasts as we hope to grow the show and reach a larger audience. If you have any feedback for us, please do drop us a line at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. We're regularly checking that inbox, looking for your feedback, looking for your thoughts. And as you know, listener suggestions have given us movies to cover, blends of the month, and even resulted occasionally in appearances on this dang show. So please do send us your feedback. It is so helpful to know that folks are listening, but we want to be talking about the things that you care about. So please hit us with an email. We would love to take your suggestions to heart. Other than that, you can follow Christian and myself on Letterboxd, where we are rating and reviewing the things that we're watching. Stay tuned for our full Ensemble inter or not interviews, our full Ensemble reviews coming to Letterboxd. And you can also follow myself and the show on Twitter and Christian on Instagram. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? I think I'm going to go for a run when we're done. Christian's going to go for a run, folks. Stay healthy, get outside, and get some fresh air, or just be like me. Stay inside and watch movies. And hopefully you'll be watching Arrival, because until next time, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.